You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about leveraging human psychology in our businesses. Now, I love this topic. Uh, in my previous life as a marketer, I've spent 15 years as a content marketer. I love neuromarketing. I love neuroscience. I love understanding why we do what we do because as human beings, we are crazy and fascinating creatures, right? Um, and I'm super excited to dive in today's conversation because our guest today has more answers than I do at this point in time. And I can't wait to tap into his brain. I met today's guest, Tim Ash, um, through our heroic public speaking program. You guys, anybody who's been listening has heard me talk about this program we've been in. It's been a huge part of my life for the last however many months now. Um, but I, I've met amazing people in this program. And one of them is today's guest, Tim Ash. And I have to say, I've had the pleasure of having some one-on-one -on -one conversations with him. And he just continues to blow my mind every time. So again, super excited to have him on the show. Tim is an authority on evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. So you see, we have a lot in common. And he is a sought-after international keynote speaker and the best-selling author of Unleash Your Primal Brain and landing page optimization, a very fun combo. There you go. So welcome to Eloma, Tim. Thanks, Kylie. It's it's great to be with you. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, Tim, there's so many things that we could chat about here. And I've got an idea of some things that I want to I want to pick your brain on, but who who knows where this is going to go. So let's buckle up. Yeah, buckle up. Put your put your seatbelt on, throw your hands up. It's going to be a wild ride. Uh, Tim, so you and I both know that business owners carry lots of stuff on their shoulders, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we both love about psychology is it provides some answers to tricky questions that we need to pay attention to, right? So talk to me a little bit about some of the psychological phenomena that we encounter as business owners that we really need to tune into because if we do so, it's going to make our lives a little bit more easy, like easier or slightly more successful or effective. Mm, okay. Well, I think then the obvious thing to start with is negativity bias. Uh, uh, yes. Let's just get into the biases. Let's just do this, Tim. Well, not, not necessarily. It's, it's not like some grab bag of biases we're talking about. But <laughs> one of the things is when we evolved, if I say to you, it's like, oh, there's a bear about to attack you, or do you want this ice cream cone? They don't really carry the same weight, no matter how much you like ice cream. We're going to deal with the threats first. Yep. And so because of that, we're always scanning the environment and we're always looking for threats. And it's been shown, depending on the context and what we're talking about, that there's about a two or sometimes even two and a half to one negativity bias. And uh, we have to, so it's in a sense, it distorts our perceptions of reality. We're focused on the threats. Now, since most threats aren't any more of the life or death variety, uh, we need to kind of discount the negative stuff. So I think that's one of the things when I, I've had my own entrepreneurial journey as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things that makes entrepreneurs unique is that they can just say, oh, you don't think that's going to work? Oh, you don't think I'm going to succeed? Screw you. You know, so they have a compensation for that negativity. You really have to kind of go, what if things went right? What if that yeah. did succeed? Yeah. You know, yeah. What if it's going to work out? And so you have to, in a way, not ignore the naysayers because sometimes, you know, throwing your, beating your head against the wall is not good either, but at least have a bias in the direction of positivity. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I so agree with that. Um, I love your example of the bear and the ice cream. Like, yes, let's tackle the bear. Uh, but I also agree. Like, I think entrepreneurs, I, I don't think you get very far in the world of entrepreneurship if you just, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. I mean, you're not going to go anywhere. Or buy into what other people are saying all the time. I mean, yeah. uh, most of them don't matter because most of them have no clue what you're going through. I mean, one of the reasons I joined back in the day, the entrepreneurs organization mm -hmm. is because nobody else understood my problems. They were, mm -hmm. you know, what I'll call civilians, you know, <laughs> and we're the yeah. combat veterans, no, right? True. So I'm sorry, your spouse, your friends, your your parents, they're not going to understand. So it. when whenever they say something, I basically go, yeah, whatever. Uh, I mean, it's uh, there's a great saying I heard recently, which is that never take criticism for someone you wouldn't go to for advice. Ooh, that is good. So I mean, qualify the advice. If you're looking for specific feedback about your business, go to other people that have, have some experience in the business world. Don't just go, to, like I said, to the civilians and say, hey, what do you think, honey, if we just mortgage the house and use the money to launch this thing, your, yeah. your spouse probably not going to be too happy no matter what. Yeah, they won't get it. No, I love that. Okay. Negativity bias. Um, and some of the ways that maybe we can counteract that is like surrounding ourselves by people, like you said, that we would ask advice for and, yep. you know, yeah, people um, who understand what we're going through. Yeah. And that's, uh, well, there's another evolutionary adaptation that we should have is, uh, as people, we're not just like other mammals that want to group together in herds for protection. Yeah, we certainly have that part of us, but we also are basically culture transmitters. Our survival depended on the specific culture that we learned from our tribe, and that helped us in a particular environment. I mean, you're not, if you're in north of the Arctic Circle, you need a different survival skill than someone in the Australian outback or in a modern mm -hmm. city. I mean, they're not transferable. So basically, we transmit culture. And in order to do that, we have to be part of this chain of knowledge. And that means that as we get older and get some wisdom, we want to be mentors. We want to give back. We do stuff for the motivation of prestige, which is a uniquely human emotion, as opposed to just straight up mammalian dominance. You know, I'm I'm the silverback gorilla, you know. So um, <laughs> it's really important that you find people that want to mentor you and bring you up as well. And and that's, that's yeah. another way to overcome that negativity bias. But it's a I think it's a critical skill for any entrepreneur. So find someone that legit wants to give something back, uh, might be at a different stage of life than you, or um, and get a, get a mentor or several mentors or a group of mentors. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love that culture transmitter. I've never heard that before. And I really, I mean, that makes a lot of sense in terms of, and I like how you're talking about like, these things aren't transferable. You have to learn different traits to adapt to wherever you're at. Yeah. So, so from a again, biological uh, standpoint, you know, we can look at, we survive in every niche on the planet from deserts to mountains, to lakes, to forests, uh, everything in between. And yeah. there are other mammals that do that, say squirrels, for example, but they adapt <laughs> physically, you know, they have rotating ankles to run down trees or wings to fly between trees or some even hibernate in the desert to get away from the heat of the sun people don't really adapt physically 
we placed this one giant bet on kind of slowing down the growth of our body, growing our brains and learning of the cultural package around us. And that's what makes us successful. So individually, we're very weak, but you can think of human evolution as largely a tribe on tribe competition. So being a tribal loyalist and transmitting that cultural package reliably, that's our survival edge. I love that. I love that. Okay. What else? What else do you got that we need to be knowing as entrepreneurs? Any other psychological things that it's like, yeah, we got to know these things. A lot of the stuff in my book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, is really universal. So it's not about entrepreneurs only, but I would say that one of the keys to me to having a successful life is sleep as a personal habit. Yes. (laughs) Not non-negotiable. Every form of life that lives longer than a few days on this planet has some form of sleep. That's how fundamental it is. And for some reason, we've convinced ourselves with our like, oh, 110%, I'm going to, you know, the four hour work week, Tony Robbins kind of bullshit that we can ignore sleep, that we can get off of the normal circadian rhythms and daylight cycle, and that there's no effects to that. Uh, When in fact, it's been shown that we're going to die earlier, there are higher chance of getting Alzheimer's, all these bad things happen if you don't get seven to nine hours of sleep reliably. And one of the worst from a decision-making standpoint or being an entrepreneur is that we don't calibrate properly to our social reactions. If we're on short sleep, we think people are more aggressive and and want bad things to happen to us. So we misread social cues. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the the ways to reliably torture people is sleep deprivation. That's not a coincidence. Sure. Uh, In fact, I'll go further. There is... No major psychiatric condition that doesn't involve some kind of sleep disturbance. Say that one more time. All major psychiatric conditions involve a sleep disturbance. Wow, that is big. Yeah, so don't screw with your sleep. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about diet and exercise and... I'll take these supplements or what have you. It's always like, yeah, diet, exercise, and sleep in that order. And it should be sleep and then everything else if you can fit it in. Yeah, I know. I've been working on diet, exercise, and sleep. But my biggest one, I agree with you, has been sleep. You know, it's like, I know people who can chug three cups of coffee in the morning and they're like, that's fine. I did four hours last night and here we go. (laughs) I don't know what it is for me at least, but I've got, caffeine doesn't do it for me. I have to sleep. Well, okay. Um, Then a little bit. Yeah. Let's, let's explore that a little bit more then because yeah, the other effects of sleep is you have much higher chance of getting into accidents. Uh, You don't learn any physical skills and you don't learn information if you don't sleep on it. So cramming for a test Mm. like I did back in college and shortchanging your sleep actually lowers your performance. To store it in long-term memory and recall it later, you need to sleep on it. And if that doesn't happen, whether it's your new information or learning how to play golf, you just don't actually learn stuff without sleep either. So if you want to say you're curious and you're a lifelong learner, it's impossible Mm -hmm. without sleep. And on the subject of caffeine, and you can see I'm drinking my my tea here, for those of you not on the podcast, (laughs) Uh, caffeine doesn't, is not a stimulant. It doesn't keep you awake. All it does is blocks the tiredness signals. It literally binds to the certain receptors in your brain. So 
it makes you forget that you're tired. And then when it wears off, that extra sleep deficit, that sleep pressure that's been building all of a sudden hits you really hard. But uh, yeah, unless you're going to resort to meth and I'm not suggesting that. Or <laughs> we are not promoting, you know, ca- caffeine not is promoting not, drugs. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I've never done it. So, but caffeine is not a stimulant. It's just something that masks the sleep deficit that's building up inside of your body. Fascinating. Okay. This makes a lot of sense as to why I'm like, caffeine never works for me. I don't know what's wrong with me. But now I'm just like, oh, no, everybody else is just lying to themselves. Okay, got it. Um, Gosh, you're so full of fascinating facts, Tim. Um, I'm full of something anyway. You're full of a lot of things. Uh, Okay, I've got a lot of other questions for you. But is there any other like big psychological things that you're like, we got to talk about this before. Oh, we oh, oh, whatever, wherever you want to take it. I'm sure we'll have, we'll have fun talking about it. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I, I know there's lots of, lots of psychological uh, concepts we could dive into. And by all means, if you think of any others that we need to know about, you just toss them out there. Um, but I know, so one of the things that we have in common is our ma- marketing background. So you used to run an agency as well. Mm-hmm. Um as I did, we had definitely different sized agencies and different exits, that's for sure. Um, But one thing that we both know uh, is so important, especially in the marketing space, is the emotional impact of storytelling. And Mm. so one of the things I thought would be really interesting to get into with you is exploring the psychological impacts of effectively telling stories and how we use those in our business. Sure. Well, again, I'll go back to first principles and evolutionary psychology, which, by the way, when you say psychology to me, psychology is evolutionary psychology, because if you don't take into account how our brains evolved and which parts of them are reacting, you don't really understand what's going on. So all psychology is evolutionary psychology. Having said that, so let's let's talk about why we need stories. I mean, the brain is basically among other things, it keeps your body alive, but it's a prediction machine. It builds a model of the world. And if it's an accurate model, you you increase your chances of survival, right? So the brain in a way is trying to lay meaning onto reality. So all this stuff is hitting your brain, uh, massive amounts of information, and it has to ignore most of it, figure out what some of it means, overlay it on top of memories, and then say, okay, here's the model of the world and what you should do right now in this moment. And so if you can think of the brain as a meaning-making machine and it tries to find patterns. And even if they don't exist, they'll try to, it'll create a pattern for you. That's why we we don't do really well in casinos because we can easily be manipulated. Like, you know, the, the three bars on the slot machine, it's like, it's yeah. always like two of them will line up and one's a little off. Yep. Well, the probability of winning is the same for all machines, but the casinos manipulate the close calls. They actually, you're more likely to see two and slightly off on the third. Uh, and, and because your brain wants to say, I want to complete that pattern. I want to complete that pattern. Yeah. And 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 find order in what's essentially random. So where we get in trouble by is with random stuff. But the storytelling in the brain is a way to transmit order to tell other people in our tribe about patterns, to use that bear example, I'd say mm-hmm. to you, say, okay, hey, I went down the path and I went on down the right path and there was ice cream there. And I went down the left path and there was a bear there. Okay. That's kind of important. Yeah. 
you don't have to suffer the consequences of going down that left path and running away from the bear, getting killed by the bear to know about the danger. So you know, what stories are for is for transmitting information. Um, and basically it's like that Vulcan mind meld on Star Trek. We synchronize. When someone tells a story, the same parts of the receiver's brain are actually activated with a little bit of a delay. So what we're doing is we're transmitting our knowledge directly into somebody else's head, and that saves them the consequences, the time, the effort, and the risk mm. of learning it on their own. So the primary purpose of stories is to tell us information about our environment and also to um, pass on cultural values. You know, that cultural package I was talking about, mm -hmm. it's it's to give you the morals, the lessons, Um you know, who's the hero? Who's the villain? What happened? So pretty much all stories are in that traditional arc of um, something happened. I had to go deal with it. This is what I learned. Yeah. And they all have human protagonists for the most part, uh, or sometimes animals with human characteristics. Uh, sure. But same idea. And why is it that we're, we always hear like, you have to make them feel something, make them feel something so that they will remember it. Like why, mm -hmm. what's behind that? Well, so here's the thing. You're trying to understand that rationally right now. Is that right? I guess, I guess so. <laughs> That's what I have to say to that. Turns out there is no such thing as a rational decision. I mean that literally. Yeah. Like the, no, 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 for the, sure. the new part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex gives us a bunch of options. But what decides is the emotional part, the instinctual part, either what we learn from our own life experience or stuff that's hardwired into us. So at any moment, I could do an infinite number of actions. Like right now, I could um, scratch my head. I can sneeze. I can itch my butt. Sorry, probably not the, <laughs> not the visual you wanted, but I mean, or I could do nothing, right? And the default for most situations is do nothing. So unless something emotionally gets us off of our comfortable spot, we're not going to act at all. That's the way the brain mm. conserves energy. And, and so something has to move us really strongly, either in a positive or negative direction for us to act. And the strongest emotional charge is what's going to be our decision, the one that has the strongest emotion. So no decision gets made without emotion. I'm just taking notes here. <laughs> no decision gets made without emotion. Well, that I think that explains it, right? Like, I mean, for anybody listening, generally speaking in the work that we do, no matter where we are, what we're doing, we want somebody to do something, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Whatever it is, you want them to buy a product, you want them to hire you. Yeah, you want persuasion. Them, yeah, yeah persuasion, speaking. the art of yeah. persuasion. So in order to create action, we have to make them feel something. To move them off their comfortable spot. Because the them, default is do nothing because that that uh, requires energy. And I don't want to waste it if it's not worth it. I like the energy. I like, I never had, I've never thought of it that way. And I, that makes a lot of sense as we are built for survival, yeah. right? So we only, we have so much energy and how are we going to maximize that energy? We are constantly making, I'll say micro decisions 
on how we spend and conserve said energy. Yeah, and, so. and by the way, this, so this is a perfect again way to take it back to there are general things like energy conservation and metering out of energy that are built into pretty much every life form. Like we talk about dopamine. I'm sure you've heard like the yep. pop psych versions of dopamine. And it's like, oh, that's the reward chemical. And it's those three little dots and the anticipation of the next message okay. coming through on my WhatsApp. Well, yep. No, actually, dopamine is something we share with fruit flies, with insects going back several hundred million years, because that basic idea of, of metering out energy in search of rewards is something that every form of life pretty much needs. And so the way to think about it is it's just like, is it worth taking that little extra micro step like you're saying? It's very short acting. Like, should I move in that direction? Should I chase this little goal? Will it improve mm -hmm. my survival chances? That's what dopamine does. And, and the other thing it does, importantly enough, is it changes your mental model as well. So when you get a very unexpected result, there's literally a, a kind of an oh shit circuit that goes off in your head and it rewires your mental model in a flood of dopamine. It says, hmm. whoa, I didn't get what I expected. Therefore, I should really pay attention to this and rewire the model so it's more accurate next time. Interesting. And so incidentally, those near misses I was talking about back at the casino. Yeah. Those actually give you more dopamine than getting the reward and getting that line of three sevens. Near yeah, misses make you chase stuff. And some and so, so the activation of dopamine can be three or four times higher with a near miss than with actually achieving the goal. Gosh, and that is exactly why casinos get you. Like <laughs> every oh time. Oh my gosh. I, I'm not personally a gambler because I'm just like, you know what? I know that this is rigged. I know there's psychology behind this and it is not working in my favor. And it worked <laughs> way too hard to earn my money to lose it that fast. But I'm not judging anybody who does gamble. I just, that is my perspective on it. I'm just like, nope. I, I know that I don't know what's going on here and I'll never figure it out. Um, yeah, I love and that. And I don't know why I'm talking about meth and, and uh, scratching butts and casinos. <laughs> I don't do any of these things. I just want to be super clear. Okay. Just like, <laughs> as a disclaimer. Uh, well, you know, we are all a human, Tim. I'm sure somebody <laughs> out there is scratching their butt right now. Um, okay. So. I love this. So we've got so many, thank you so much for breaking down all these psychological ideas uh, because I think sometimes we we start going and we live our lives and then we wonder, you know, why is this happening? I think that's what we should be asking is like, why are we doing what we're doing? Why is so-and-so doing what we're, what is this like, like, why is this behavior happening? Whether it's from us or it's an observed behavior, it's a societal behavior, et cetera. Um, but I think there's also, if I recall correctly, I know, I think you talk about this in your book, is there's some psychological shortcuts we make. So we are constantly making decisions. We just talked about like micro decisions, some are bigger, some are smaller mm -hmm. uh, than others, but we as humans are making thousands and thousands and thousands of decisions every single day. And I think especially as entrepreneurs, I would go to, I would guess that that number is on steroids. So Correct me if I'm wrong, but are there some psychological shortcuts that we tend to make that we should maybe be aware of so that we don't get in our mm. own way? Well, another way to think about this is that we have kind of the subconscious, what I call the primal brain that's working 24-7, taking in massive amounts of information. 
flushing most of it down the toilet, remembering a tiny little part of that, of what's mm-hmm. remaining. Um, and then there's the conscious part of the brain, uh, we call executive function. And that part is controlled by our attention and our awareness. And that part gets depleted. So one of the things to realize is that you only have so much good thinking time in your day. Yeah. Uh, they did this. There's a famous study with Israeli judges, and it turned out that their chances of granting parole was if the case came up on their docket right after breakfast or after lunch. If you're going when their sugar is low, you know, you had an 80, 90% chance, lower chance of getting the parole wow. as the criminal. So, and none of them would admit that, hey, you know, that's just because. I'm tired and my blood sugar is low. Yeah, oh, of course but, they can't, yeah. But that's the reality of it. And it was documented very convincingly to my mind. So one of the things mm. to realize is um, uh, when I was in the entrepreneurs organization, we had this this guy come in and talk to us and he had this thing, kiss your big frog first. Okay, you're going to have so, to explain that. Yeah, so <laughs> it's just the opposite of like, there are a lot of people say you need psychological momentum. So uh, clean out your mailbox, you know, and then uh, do a little task. And then that big task, you'll build up momentum. That's exactly oh, the yeah, wrong no. approach. And so yeah. what you really need to do is tackle your hardest problem, the one that requires the most conscious thought first, because you're going to very quickly deplete your ability to think and make yep. good judgments uh, in a more rational way. And so um, do that stuff first. And then the little stuff, ignore it. Ignore it entirely. Well, I, well I'm <laughs> it. It's stuff that you can do. You know, when we often say, "I can do that in my sleep." Well, you pretty yeah. much are once your once your thinking reserves that. are gone. You pretty much are doing it in your sleep. So do the low stake stuff later in the day. It's the same reason, like when you go to a timeshare presentation. I've been suckered into a couple of those. Right? <laughs> they they keep you there a long time, and then so when you're really emotionally spent, that's when they do the hard sell. It's the same idea. That so, is unethical, in my opinion. Um, okay, <laughs> well, I, I really have a question. wanted that, those two vacation nights, though, at the nice yeah. Hotel. Well, yeah, there you go. Um, Okay, so you're talking about this uh, critical thinking reserve in the conscious part mm-hmm. of the brain. Yeah. Is there like a certain amount of, like, I don't know, is there like a study? Is it like, on average, human beings can think critically for four hours a day or six hours uh, it, a day? It really depends. depends and again, okay. what the stakes are and, and your age, your environment, how much you've rested, you know, sleep is critical to that sure. as well. Um no, so I don't, I don't think there's there's a set time. Just be clear that you're going to use it up really fast, and it, and and that's it. So okay. important stuff after you eat earlier in the day, however you want to, whatever that means to you. Okay, love that. Um, awesome. Okay, so there's all kinds of things. So let me just, I'm going to plug your book for a hot second. And if you want to <laughs> plug it again, please go for it. Um, but your book is uh, is out and it's the primal brain, unleash your primal brain or at uh, least your primal brain, primal brain, uh, unleash your, your primal, primal brain, brain? Uh, primal. demystifying how we think and why we act is basically the operating system for human beings. It's what all 8,000 or a billion of us rather uh, on the planet have in common. So I'm not talking about differences or what your cultural package is. What, yeah. I'm talking about like the operating system that we yeah. all share. So, and I think it's, it's so fascinating because especially I'm going to bring it back to entrepreneurship, you know, 
we, again, we talk about, we have so many decisions to make on a regular basis and understanding why we are doing what we're doing and understanding why our, our co- clients and customers are doing what they're doing mm-hmm. and how this is all functioning together. Like do yourself a favor and check out this book so that you are creating some shortcuts for yourself, um, for every, anyone listening. Um, that being said, Tim, if there was like any one or two things that you wanted business owners or entrepreneurs to know right now that they could implement and would be important for their business right now, from like a psychological standpoint, what would you say? Mm. Well, this goes towards overcoming negativity bias partly, and also towards setting up for good sleep. So one of my, um, have a, one, one important thing is to have daily habits and to implement them properly. So one of my things that I do before I go to sleep, I write a little gratitude journal. Yep. Okay. But I don't write because at that point in the day, I can't write in complete sentences anyway. <laughs> so I just do a bullet list like cat. That means I, I saw a cat on the walk and it let me pet it. You know, like <laughs> um, my kid said, I love you too. When I said, I love them. Okay. Just like little bullet points. And then that does two things. It, um, sets your mind for what's going to happen during sleep because it turns out the stuff you process at night is really tail weighted the last hour before sleep gets processed five to six times more than the rest of the day's events combined so if you consciously put stuff in there that you want to load up either your creativity to work on or things you're grateful for it's a great practice to do it before sleep instead of first thing in the morning Um, okay wait i have a question on that can yeah. I jump in for a second? Sure. Because I have a personal question. Uh, all right. So you know how people are always like, you shouldn't think about business before you go to bed if you want to be able to turn your brain off and not think about business while you're sleeping. Hmm. Um, it, so, so I guess my question is, is it good to think about a like big business question before bed? Mm-hmm. Or are we really truly screwing ourselves out of a restful night's sleep if we are... Uh, stimulating our brains to think about work before bed. Mm, well, it's I wouldn't say it's about business stuff. I'd say it's like whatever is important to you and requires some creativity. Okay. Okay. So, say so as long as it's in that bucket, it's absolutely good to do it just before sleep and preload your brain into kind of thinking mm. about it. Because one of the functions of sleep, besides calibrating your social stuff, locking in new learning, is it overlays today's important stuff on the rest of its memories that you have. And so it kind of connects non-obvious things. So what you can, broadly speaking, creativity happens in one of the phases of sleep. So you wake up and the answer will be right there or the insight will be right there. So whatever's important to you, yeah, preloaded just before you go to sleep. Other crap that you don't need, get it out of your head. So what I have is like a post-it pad on my nightstand and anything like I just think of, I just, um, that I need to do tomorrow. I unload my brain. So I'm not thinking about waking up early or mm, any other little thing. I actually get it out of my mind by externalizing it and putting it on a piece of paper. That way it's not in my brain anymore. Yep. Okay. This makes me feel a lot better about my late night, uh, personal jaunts with my spreadsheets where I'm like, ooh, what does this look like? And ooh, what does this look like? Now I'm like, maybe there was a reason for that. All right. Mm. Thank you, Tim. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Unleash your creativity. (laughs) Yeah. And and my primal brain. Um, (laughs) All right, Tim, you have got a lot of really cool stuff going on right now. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what 
is happening in your world? Well, uh, as you know, but your but your listeners probably don't. As I as you mentioned, I ran that digital marketing agency called Site Tuners for almost twenty years, and we created over. 1.2 billion in value for clients all over the world, mostly based on this kind of neuromarketing stuff. But about five years ago, I stepped out into focusing more on writing books, keynote speaking, and advising senior executives. Mm -hmm. And so mostly these days, I'm, I'm focused on this evolutionary psychology topics. And as you know, since we're in the same heroic public speaking cohort, I'm working on a new speech for executives on uh, basically the evolutionary take on leveraging polarization. Polarization is a huge problem to understand the roots of it, how to deal with it, and, and how to proactively build highly polarized intentional tribes. That's that's uh, the thing I'm focused on right now. Fascinating. No, I know. I feel like I could have you on as a guest like 12 times and we'd have different, wildly different conversations every time. <laughs> I'm up for it. 11 more to go. <laughs> 11 more to go. That's awesome. Um, Tim, like you, as you just mentioned, you've done, you've lived many, many lives, right? Um, one of the things that I, I know we both think a lot about is the impact that we are making and, and the legacies we want to leave. So one of my questions for you here is what impact do you want to make on the world or what legacy do you want to leave? Wow. Okay. So you saved the hard questions for the end, I see. Yep. Yep. I'm just, you know, messing with your psychological uh, warfare up there. <laughs> when my executive function is gone already. Yep. <laughs> well played, you. <laughs> uh, well, I, I wouldn't say it's the impact that I care about. It's not so much about the doing, it's the being, at least in this stage in my life. So I'm more sure. focused on my purpose. Um, okay. And that's my North Star. As long as I'm on purpose, that I'm doing something in alignment with my values, that's enough for me. I, it's, I don't have like set goals of amount of money or achievement or any externally validated stuff. Um, but I, I recommitted to this purpose a few years ago in my Mankind Project initiation. And so my purpose is I co-create a world of peace, safety, and love through joyous expression and service. Sounds lovely. And as long as I'm working in that direction, I can say hell yes to things. Everything else is is a hard no. Yep. So it's not anything I ever achieve. It's just the direction I'm moving in. Yeah. Well, I love that. And it's fluid. And I think that's that's a great mindset to adapt. I think so often, especially in this world as we are right now, we're very much so driven to focus on achievements and like notches in your belt and, and awards, et cetera. Um, but I like that mindset of just being in a fluid motion, moving towards the path that you want, like continuing to be moving on the path that you want to be on. Yeah. I think it's a, it's an individual purpose. I think that's something Victor Frankl talks about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, very much a believer in that. At some point in your life, you have to find your individual purpose and that becomes your compass. Uh, but again, yeah. compasses are directional. They're not a destination on a map. Yep. No, I love that. And that's, we do a lot of that work in the work that we do at Rain 9 is we talk a lot about finding personal purpose because we believe you have to find that first in order to build the life that you want and live the life that you want. So hundred yes, percent, a thousand percent there. Um, <laughs> all right. I got one more doozy for you. Are you ready, Tim? Sure. Hit me. All right, here we go. What is your greatest insight or discovery 
about both life and entrepreneurship? Mm. The things that matter to me more are universal things that I can apply in every sphere of my life. So uh, for me, the personal discovery was I bought into the the matrix. I drank the Kool-Aid, whatever analogy you want to use. It's like, oh, entrepreneurship is super important and entrepreneurs are changing the world. So I don't mean to end on a contrarian note, but really think about whether your mind's been hijacked with this idea that you should be an entrepreneur and a servant leader and be scrumming and pivoting your way to financial success and the unicorn exit. You know, it, it, think about how that stuff got loaded into your head by the larger society around you and the and the tribes that you belong to, the psychological tribes you belong to. Uh, so to me, it's, uh, it's life's become much more personal and I'm much more skeptical of anyone trying to um, load stuff into my head. Yeah, so so I'm hearing you say be mindful of kind of what you absorb and how you act upon it. And and be somewhat skeptical of it because again, the way our minds are des- designed, there's a trap door and all this social conditioning and cultural package stuff gets loaded into our brains without us having any conscious awareness of it. Yeah. So yeah, be skeptical. I like it. Tim, it is not surprising to me that I have many, many pages of notes over here because <laughs> you have so much beautiful knowledge in your brain. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all of your words of wisdom for anybody who's listening and would like to get in touch with you or learn more about you and what you do. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best uh, ways to just to go to my website, primalbrain.com and you'll get an overview of what I am and what I do uh, and my focus on evolutionary psychology, you get info about the book uh, or connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, that's always a, a great place to to start. Yeah. Tim Ash is really hard to misspell. So you've got that going for you. Um, Anybody listening right now, if you've enjoyed today's episode, even half as much as I have, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening. And don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter at rixnewsletter.com. We send it out every Wednesday and you'll get our new podcast episodes, et cetera. Uh, Tim, I look forward to seeing you soon. And thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely, Kylie. It's been my pleasure. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.